The Way BK podcast is dedicated to pursuing and promoting a true understanding of Jesus Christ and the transformation He provides for all who submit to Him to live in a way that is pleasing to God as revealed in the Bible. Let's join our hosts as they discuss The Way. Hey guys, this is The Way BK podcast. I'm Caleb Churchill. What's up everybody? It's Ben. And uh, we're here today, we're going to talk a little bit more about the book of Acts. And uh, this is our second podcast discussing uh, the book of Acts, which we're reading together with uh, the disciples here in Brooklyn. Um, and we invite all of you who are tuning in, if you have questions about the things we're discussing, we invite you to read along with us, um, invite you to uh, dig into the Word. And feel free to reach out to us at any point on our website, uh, thewaybk.com. Um, or on our Facebook page. Um, feel free to reach out to us at any point uh, with questions, things that uh, we say that maybe uh, don't seem right to you. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to uh, be able to grow together as we seek the Lord. Um, today we're going to be looking at uh, Acts 1 and 2. And um, la- in, the, in the last podcast, we began a, a discussion of the kingdom of God. And the book of Acts is, in large part, um, a book about the kingdom of God and the growth and spread of the kingdom of God. And uh, so today what I'd like to talk with, uh, what we'd like to talk with you guys about um, is um, we'd like to discuss where the, where the power of the kingdom comes from. Um, what is the fuel that, that, that really sparks the growth of this kingdom? And, uh, and, and we'll, talk, we'll discuss some of the key characters in this book. Um, so, uh, if you look at the title of your book, my, um, the title of my book, which this is not from, uh, from Luke himself, uh, but it's the title is given, says the Acts of the Apostles. And obviously, Ben, uh, the Apostles are, uh, really important characters in this book. There's a lot of emphasis here at the beginning on the Apostles. So talk to us a little bit about, um, what you see Luke stressing and teaching us about the Apostles in this book. Yeah, I mean, this in some ways goes all the way back to the Gospel of Luke when Jesus was on earth. Um, you have to help me remember. I didn't even look at it. I just now thought of this. Uh, what chapter is it? Luke 6, maybe, where Jesus actually chooses the apostles. Is that right? That sounds right. Something like that. Um, but, I mean, he prayed. Yeah, yeah, Luke 6, starting in verse 12. It says, It was this time he went off in the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And presumably he was praying about these guys because the very next verse says, And then when day came, he called his disciples to him. And out of all the people who were following Jesus, he picked out 12 who would serve as apostles. Mm-hmm. Um, which some of you who are listening may know this, some may not. The word apostle a lot of times gets brought out as just like a religious word, but it's not really a religious word at all. It's just somebody who gets sent out. Now it has religious connotations, like a lot of Bible words. It has religious connotations now, but originally it just meant somebody who got sent out. Right. And even in the Bible, Jesus is one time called an apostle because he right. was sent out by God. Other people, I'm trying to think of others who get called apostles. Seems like there's a couple others like They're that. Apostles sent from churches. And right. Sort of yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, but this group of guys were really crucial. Jesus saw them as really crucial in carrying forth his mission, spreading the gospel of his kingdom, uh, etc. Um, it starts really here in Acts right off the bat we looked at this a little bit last time but uh, in the first couple of verses of chapter 1 in verse uh, 3 
it talks about him uh, presenting himself. Really, verse 2, he had given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, and he presented himself alive to them. Then in verse 4, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Um, in chapter 1, in verse 13, after Jesus ascended back to the Father, it says, when they had entered the cities, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. And then, just to be clear, Luke lists out the whole group. Mm-hmm. Peter, John, and James, and I mean, the whole list of guys, which kind of seems a little unnecessary because he's been talking about the apostles, the apostles, the apostles. But at least I think you may have a take on this. But it seems to me he's trying to clarify, hey, just so you all know, if there's any doubt, we don't need to get this mixed up as to who are the guys that Jesus said, y'all are going to go out and do my stuff on the right. earth. Here's the list right here. Right. Right. And it seems like there's a huge emphasis right here at the beginning of the book of Acts on um, <clears throat> on Jesus preparing them, yeah. right, for yeah. the work that he's speaking to them about the, the things concerning the kingdom of God in verse 3. And then he instructs them when they're asking this question about, uh, Lord, is it at this time uh, that, that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He says, not for you to know. But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So this is, this is Jesus kind of preparing the apostles for this mission that they're going to go out and lead kind of the, the conquest of, uh, that this king, as the kingdom begins, they're going to be the leaders here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, um, and I, I think a lot of the conversations we have with people, problems that come up in a lot of denominational approaches to following Jesus that frankly aren't really following Jesus the way he said it is a I think a lot of it comes back to a lack of appreciation for the role of the apostles and a lot of people see them as just well they're just like all the rest of the disciples you know but and so whatever they said that's cool but if my pastor says something different or if my church tradition does something different, or if a group of people in some city get together and vote on something and they come up with something different, that's just as viable as what these guys say uh, and what they wrote in Scripture. And uh, and I, I think the book of Acts is one of the best places to see that's just not at all how the earliest followers of Jesus thought about the apostles. And mo- more importantly, that's not how Jesus wanted us to think about the apostles. Um, over and over again, they asserted that Jesus said, we're the ones who you're supposed to look to, not because we, it's not like we derive our authority just because, hey, I'm an apostle, but our authority is derived from the fact that Jesus told us, go tell everybody what I had, to, what I want, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so this is actually pretty, it's pretty important to appreciate the position of the apostles and the nature of the apostles, I think. As the book of Acts presents them. Yeah, so then how would you, somebody's coming and saying, well, prove to me that the apostles, there's a difference between the apostles and disciples. Mm-hmm. Like what, because a lot of people get those two terms confused, sure. right? Um, and apostles are disciples, right? Disciple, right. the word disciple just means follower, but the apostles had a special, they were specially chosen to be sent out, as you said. The apostles I, are a subset. Of, of the, the disciples. disciples. That's right. That's right. So how? But how would you prove to someone like what? What scriptures have led uh, led you to the conclusion that the apostles are this distinct group of people that um, really have a higher level of authority than any other evangelist, teacher, preacher, pastor today? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, where would you? Where, where? What scriptures would you kind of stress 
or or used to emphasize Jesus teaching on that. Yeah, I mean, I think one would be the one we looked at in Luke six. Notice that none of these by themselves right. prove anything, but when I think when you put all these together, you kind of see this constellation that comes together. Wow, these guys are pretty special. So one is of all the disciples, Jesus made a distinction. Right. He pulled these guys aside and said, "Y'all are my dudes." You right. Know? And there are other passages in the Gospels where that gets emphasized. John 14 through 17, there's a lot of material that speaks to the role of the apostles, the significance of the apostles. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, before Jesus ascends, it says he got the, the 11 at that point because Judas had, of course, betrayed him and gone away. But the 11 were gathered together, and he said, you go make disciples, teach them all that I commanded you. Um, and then even here in Acts, besides stuff in the Gospels, it leads us to see, hey, this is a special group of people. As we already pointed out in verse 2, he gave orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Right. And then in verse uh, 5, he promises, it says gathering them together in verse 4, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem but to wait for what the Father promised. And then he made a promise to them about the Spirit, which we'll come to a little bit more later anyways. And then another, so uh, maybe to pause on that for a little bit, the Spirit's relationship with the apostles is pretty significant. And this is probably something we're going to unpack more as we go through the book of Acts. But in the first six chapters of Acts, first five chapters of Acts, the only people who are specifically identified as performing miracles are, or miraculous signs or powers or whatever are the apostles, uh, like in chapter 4 of Acts, um, in verse 33. It says, And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and abundant grace. I take that great power to be a reference to their miraculous deeds. Same things in chapter 5, starting around verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people. Blah, blah, blah. It goes on in the text. And it's not until chapter 6 that other people are highlighted, at least, Mm -hmm. as doing the same thing. So whether or not anybody ever was doing anything else in those first few chapters, Luke seems to think it was pretty important people understand, hey, the apostles are the ones doing all these things. Yeah, even even in chapter one, where um, you know Judas is talked about how Judas is, um, is dies, and then um, the apostles say it's necessary yeah. that of the men who have accompanied us from uh, all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. This is chapter one and verse twenty one, beginning with the baptism of John till the, till the day that Jesus was taken up from us. One of us, the, one of these, must become a witness with us of his resurrection. I mean, it seems like it's a big deal. These guys are going to be the witnesses, and they're going to be the ones that kind of uh, get this thing off the ground um, as, as they witness the resurrection of Jesus. And for me, that is the key. Like, the fact that Jesus chose them and had special conversations with them and directions in the Gospels, like we pointed out Luke 6, John 14 through 17, Matthew 28, that's special. The fact that they had a special relationship with the power that the Spirit gave to them, that's special. But I think the biggest piece is exactly what she just pointed out, that they were actually witnesses. I mean, that's what the rest of Acts 1, I mean, there's like, what, almost half of a chapter dedicated to what you just referenced, right. them saying, we have to get a 12th guy. Right. We have to do that. It's really important. Jesus said we have to, presumably Jesus taught them that. Um, it was a really big deal, and the, re- and the qualification, as you just read, is we need someone who is a witness of the whole thing, starting right. with Jesus' baptism, according to verse uh, 22, and then going all the way up into his ascension. Right. Which means there were other, and they present two people. So that means, and I presume there were many more people who saw most of those events, but there were at least two guys who were not apostles, 
but who were there every step of the way in the ministry of Jesus, and yet they were outside that chosen circle of people right. who were going to be leaders. Um, so that shows, I mean, it just shows another thing of like, this was a definite, unique group that Jesus wanted to, to lead the way in the kingdom. But it also, just coming back to it, the key thing that makes the apostles unique is they were eyewitnesses. Mm-hmm. And that's what even Peter, whenever he wrote a letter to Christians in Second Peter chapter 1, that was the thing that he emphasized. He said, hey, I'm not coming up with stories. Like, I'm not just telling you something that somebody told me. Mm-hmm. I actually saw it happen. And he right. references that. So to me, I mean, that is actually the big, big, big thing about the apostles is whether you believe all of this stuff, you may not even believe in miracles and stuff, but from a, just a historical perspective, these guys all went to their graves, not just uh, their graves. They went to public tortured executions mm-hmm. saying, look, we can't stop talking about the things that we saw and the things that we heard. Right. We were actually there. Right. So the fact that they're eyewitnesses and were willing to die saying they were eyewitnesses, that's powerful. And so whatever they say, Jesus wants or Jesus says, I don't know. If, I don't know if a better source we can go to. You can't get any closer to Jesus than yeah. that, right? So if you really want to follow Jesus, if you really want to obey Jesus, you got to know what He wants. In order to know what He wants, these guys are the best sources that um, we could imagine. Yeah. And I think what you're saying is true. I mean, it's not it's not just Acts that really stresses this point. This is all throughout the New Testament. Um, I think about when uh, Paul's writing in Ephesians and he says that God's household was built on, this is Ephesians 2 and verse 20, was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So really, if we want to be, if we want to be part of God's household, where are we going to learn about the cornerstone, Jesus the Christ? There's no better place to turn to than the prophets and the apostles. And this is where we're going to be. This is where, if if we're going to be part of God's household, we're going to have to listen to what they say and submit to it and obey it. Yeah. Which I think that's. I mean, a lot of this is like, okay, whoop de doo. The apostles are important. Who cares? And I think what you're pointing out is exactly it. Like, if you want to know how to live for Jesus, you shouldn't go to your church and ask them. You shouldn't go to your grandma or your friends. You shouldn't look inside your own heart. Mm-hmm. You need to go to, and I mean, and maybe those maybe those things actually are helpful if they're being informed by the writings that we have from the apostles. Right. Because fundamentally, that's the only way we can know what Jesus thought about the world and what Jesus wanted for his people and you know the commands of God and all that kind of stuff. Like that. I mean, that that illustration. This is the foundation, and if your foundation is what your church says, what some pastor online says, what your friends say, what you feel in your heart. If that's your foundation, Jesus said it's like building on sand and it's just going to wash out once things get difficult. But what Jesus says, you need to build it upon the rock. And here, as we as you're pointing out, the scriptures say, hey, actually, the way Jesus lays out a rock for us to build our lives on is through the teachings uh, and the model given by the apostles. Right, right. So there's another thing that's interesting to me that stands out here is as important as the apostles are, you would think, at least I would think, that uh, at this point, after spending three years with Jesus, having seen him risen from the dead, having watching him go up into heaven, you'd think, well, they're ready now. Like, let's go. Let's send them out. Let's do the work. (laughs) Um, It is interesting to me that Jesus says, actually... You need to wait for uh, this baptism with the Holy Spirit. You're going to receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And basically, even though these guys have spent three years with Jesus, they're sitting around in prayer, yeah. waiting uh, until they receive the Holy Spirit before they go out and do anything. Which just gets to the second kind of key character in this book. Mm -hmm. You could call the book the Acts of the Apostles. You could also call this book the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, so talk to us a little bit about wh why is the Holy Spirit so important? And, uh, you know, there's a huge emphasis on that in the book. So why, why is the Holy Spirit so important um, as a character in the story of the kingdom uh, yeah. of God? Well, I mean, just before I get to that question specifically, just to further emphasize what you're saying... Chapter 1 and verse 2, Jesus was with them until the day he was taken to heaven after he had, by the Holy Spirit, right. given orders, which is weird. It's almost like Jesus gave them orders. Uh, now, it was by the Holy Spirit. Well, I didn't need you to give, like, right. you're just saying Jesus gave them orders. I would have believed that was important. Right. But Luke makes a special emphasis to say it was by the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 5, you already quoted from, there's this baptism that Jesus uh, calls it the Holy Spirit. Verse 8, for them to go out and be witnesses for him you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Right. Um, and then it's whenever Peter gets up to talk about, hey, we need to pick another apostle, in verse 16, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit right. uh, foretold by the mouth of David, blah, 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 blah. Uh, so over and over again, just in the first chapter, mm -hmm. the Spirit is, uh, is emphasized. And then especially at the beginning of chapter 2, like you pointed out, they're kind of doing this waiting game, which Jesus commanded them to. And then everything changes at the beginning of chapter 2 when the Spirit comes. And the way the Spirit comes is a jolt. I mean, it, it says there was verse chapter 2 and verse 2. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. Yep. I don't, I've never been in a hurricane, but that's what I imagine mm -hmm. it must have sounded like or felt like. or what, Like that description at least sounds like that. Mm -hmm. There's this manifestation that is is jolting to them it appeared as tongues of fire except it was a divine fire and a divine wind because it wasn't destroying anything it wasn't burning anything up but here the spirits among them then they're able to i mean people would say magically speak in languages that they had never learned before right and all the people around them who are from all these different nations gathered in jerusalem on pentecost they're shocked like how is this happening these dudes they should not be able to speak our language but we're all hearing things about God in our own language. And then Peter says, hey, this is because the Spirit's come. This is a big deal. So, I mean, like, that is, as you pointed out, and we're going to say over and over again in Acts, the Spirit is the central character uh, alongside Jesus that's fueling the apostles and uh, the rest of the disciples in their life and in their ministry. And Peter acts like this is not new, right? I mean, like, yeah. this whole thing about the Spirit coming... It shouldn't have been a shock to them. Like the people should have been expecting this. Um, what are some of the places that, uh, if somebody wants to learn about the Spirit from the prophets, what are some places you would encourage them to turn and, and read or look at um, to kind of get a good feel for what the, the coming of the Spirit was supposed to be like and what the Spirit was supposed to do and bring to the yeah. kingdom of God? I think there's two sections that have meant a lot to me in the past few years. Um, I'll just reference them, maybe read a little bit from one of them. One of them would be Isaiah chapters 32 through 35, where there's this promise that a king would come, and the king would come and raise up people who would follow him and be a part of his kingdom and a part of his purposes. And as a part of that package, the promise was the Spirit would be poured out. It's almost like a divine river 
would mm-hmm. come, and it's like a wilderness would turn into a garden. And as you read through that whole section, it becomes pretty clear that God's not really interested in agriculture, but that those are images for righteousness and peace and holiness and joy and unity and all the things that God wants for his people, they would come when the Spirit was poured out. Uh, there's a similar passage in Ezekiel chapters 36 through 39 where uh, it's kind of similar uh, images, although it's a, whereas in Isaiah it's a little more of an agricultural metaphor, Ezekiel it's more of a uh, military metaphor. Like there's these dead bodies, there's this, you know, place that's been uh, devastated by an invading army. Mm-hmm. And even the prophet Ezekiel sees a whole valley of dead bodies, and well, not bodies, they're just bones. And then God says, by my spirit, I'm going to raise up my people, just like I can put these bones back together and make new life out of that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make new life for my people, and I'm going to turn them into an army that will be fueled by my spirit. Um, so those are a couple that I think are pretty powerful and, uh, and mean a lot. And then you had also like uh, the passage that Peter quotes here with yeah. Joel too, right? I mean, um, where he promises, and in you know, in the Old Testament, it's not like the Spirit was uh, not in the Old Testament. Like there's pictures of the Spirit sure. all throughout, and there's the Spirit of the Lord is coming upon people, and people are prophesying through the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of the Lord speaking. Um, you know, that happens. There's the power to fight right. military battles That's at right. times. That's right. So it, it's not like he's he, he's not present. But the unique thing about what what's happening now is um, in Joel 2, he says that at some point uh, in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Right. Uh, and that is that that's kind of the difference now, right? Sure. Is that uh, before it was like in unique times and uh, unique, not everybody was getting kind spirit. Kind exclusive. And it wasn't like, you know, if I got the spirit, that didn't mean that, that I would have it for my entire life. The spirit comes upon and very exclusive. Here, it's like, wow, God is going to pour out his spirit on on all flesh. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. Old men are going to dream dreams. Young men are going to see visions. Male and female sermons. I'm going to pour out my spirit in those days. So this is a more inclusive, like God's spirit is really being poured out on all flesh. And that seems to be like the part of what is launching this kingdom, mm-hmm. right? Uh, right, launching, I think so. Launching the kingdom of God. Yeah, I mean, in both, you see in the prophets, like those passages in Joel, in Isaiah 32-35, Ezekiel 36-39, it's attached to the coming of the king, um, the coming of the kingdom of God. And so, Peter says in Acts 2, hey, this stuff you're seeing, what this really means is, like, you, I mean, what you said is a good way to say it, like, this is the launching out of the kingdom. The fact mm-hmm. that the Spirit has come, we're doing these things that are, Miraculous! Y'all don't believe in us. You don't even know us. Y'all don't believe in our gospel, but we're doing something that you find, you see it as miraculous. And you're right. curious as to what it is. What this means is that Jesus is king. And that's why Peter takes that moment of the Spirit, and he turns their attention immediately to Jesus and the need for repentance mm-hmm. and to serve Jesus. Um, right, because Joel says at the end uh, of that promise of the Spirit, he says, hey, and everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Peter's sermon is kind of like, hey, here's the Spirit coming, now let me talk to you about who the Lord is. Exactly. The guy you just killed, you put him on the cross, that's actually the Lord that God raised up um, so that you could turn away from your sins, put your trust in him, and uh, and find life. Right, which, which makes sense because even Jesus, I forget the precise verse, but it's in the first part of John 16, 
Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, He's going to testify about me. Mm-hmm. And He's going to bring condemnation and righteousness and judgment. In other words, like He's going to bring conviction so that people will see, wow, we need Jesus really is the King. He wasn't just a random carpenter. He wasn't a blasphemer. He wasn't a criminal. He's the Son of God. He's sitting on the throne of heaven. That was what the Spirit's work was, and is, I should say, always has been, always will be, is to honor Jesus, to lift up Jesus. And we're going to see that all throughout the book of Acts. Mm-hmm. Just like the apostles were witnesses of Jesus' um, life and death and resurrection in a similar way, mm-hmm. and maybe in a more powerful way, the Spirit served to give that witness strength and power and validity. Which I think is powerful. I mean, all the stuff we said about the apostles, obviously we believe they're true. If you're not listening to the apostles, you're not listening to Jesus. And if you're not listening to Jesus, he said, I'm the truth. I'm the way. I'm the life. I'm right. the one. I'm the door. I'm the shepherd. If you don't come to the Father through me, you're not coming to the Father. Right. So if you're ignoring Jesus, you're in trouble with God. If you're ignoring the apostles, you're in trouble with Jesus. So the apostles are a really big deal. But I really like this, uh, this quote. Uh, from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. It's a different context. I think it has some messianic Jesus kingdom stuff going on. But it's the people were looking, they were kind of discouraged, and they didn't feel like they were going to be able to accomplish what God wanted. And Zechariah 4 and verse 6 said, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the leader of the people at that time. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And I think the book of Acts is a great illustration of that. Yeah. Peter, Andrew, James, John, I mean, those dudes were, they were known to be educated. Yeah, like people saw them and they were surprised. Like, what is going on with these guys? They can't even, can they even read? Can they? I mean, they're just nobodies. They're fishermen and it's weird. And this whole group of people, there's like women who are integral to this thing and no movement's going to start with women in first century Rome, you know. Um, They're coming from all different nations. How could they work together? How's this thing going to work? And I think Zechariah 4, verse 6, that one always comes to mind for me a lot when I'm reading through stuff in Acts. That is not by, I'll insert, human might or human power or human ingenuity or human wisdom or human whatever. Mm-hmm. It's by the power of the Spirit of God. That's what enabled the kingdom of God to be launched out into the world in a way that changed, has changed and is changing things on an ongoing basis. Mm-hmm. Um, even later in the book of Acts, in Acts 9 and verse 31 Luke gives us a little status update. And this is interesting because it's right as things were getting really difficult. There was persecution. We're going to see it later as we go through Acts. But I like this quote in Acts 9.31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, all the places where the Christians were, enjoyed peace in the midst of persecution and attack and all this bad stuff. And they were being built up. Whereas it looked like they'd be getting torn down. But they're being built up. And they're going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to multiply. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a great kind of, you look at that Zechariah 4, 6 verse, and this verse here in Acts, it's really encouraging to think that the kingdom of God is not something that's dependent upon a group of guys who lived thousands of years ago. It's not dependent upon me or people I know or my church or Christians in America or Christians around the world or whatever. It's something that's by God's Spirit, and it's empowered by God's Spirit. Yeah, which is why um, Peter says there at the end of his sermon um, in Acts two. In Acts two, yeah, the, the this Jesus God raised up of that we're all witnesses. Now he's been exalted to the right hand of God. Jesus is ascended back into heaven. He's on the throne, 
And the proof of that is that we've received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's been poured out, and you're seeing it, you're hearing it, the evidence of God's Spirit being within us. And, of course, that leads Peter to Peter's conclusion, you know, now this is what, this is what you need to understand. The, the guy that you crucified, Jesus, is Lord in Christ. And um, what's interesting, though, to me, and one thing I wanted to touch on before we uh, wrap up, is um, that the, res- the response of the people is, you know, what do we do? And Peter says, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus uh, Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And he says you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's a lot of confusion today, right, about you know, what is the gift of the Holy Spirit and what, uh, what, is, the, what is the Holy Spirit, what, what is the evidence of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. um, being within his people? How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? That sort of thing. So talk to us just a little bit about um, this phrase, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and what, what is exactly the, the, uh, the gift. Is the gift the Holy Spirit? Is it something else we should get from the Spirit? Um, how do you take uh, verse 38 there? Well, you can help me. It probably, in fairness, I, I think it would be good to lay out a few of the perspectives people take on this. So you can help me with adding on this list. Uh, one, I think it would be pretty common in a lot of uh, churches would be that the gift of the Spirit is miraculous powers. Mm-hmm. Probably the speaking ones that we hear the most, yeah, speaking in tongues and maybe some types of healings. Mm-hmm. Those are the two. I mean, there's actually lots more the Bible talks about that right. the Spirit gave, but those are the two today, it seems to me. That, that are most talked about. Maybe yeah. prophecy also. Some people talk about prophecy a little bit, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one perspective. In other words, if you repent and are baptized, you're in Jesus Christ, you're saved from your sins, then the promise of God is that you'll be able to work miracles. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, means if you're not working miracles... You may not really be saved, or you're you not at least fully question saved. Whether or not you got the Holy Spirit, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's something you'd be working towards. So that's one perspective on that. Full disclosure, I think that's false. I think that's false because you see throughout the Book of Acts and in the whole of the New Testament, even when the apostles were living, um, there were Christians who did not have miraculous abilities, right. and they weren't told, "Y'all aren't real Christians." Or you don't have the Holy Spirit. Right, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. Thanks. That's a more specific way to say it. Yeah, they would actually say you are in the Spirit. Right. You just don't have the same gift as that guy. You know, like that guy got something from God that you didn't gift get. And so so I think that's a, a faulty view. And I, I'm not trying to be unfair. Probably some people who hold that view might have nuances to it. I may be oversimplifying it, but mm-hmm. anyway, I don't I don't think that the gift that he's talking about is miraculous abilities. Mm-hmm. Um I think another couple of views that are kind of parallel that I'm much more sympathetic toward and I might even be agreeable to if somebody I think I would be agreeable to these more so would be that the gift is uh, salvation or the gospel of Christ or whatever um, and then another one's kind of similar would be that the gift is the Holy Spirit himself in other words like the gift is the fact that the spirit is with you and he dwells with you which the scriptures bring out both of those things that the spirit's involved in a lot mm-hmm. and so that one those two I can see a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not trying to cop out on this, but I, th- I think my my perspective on what the, the promised gift of the Spirit is is a little more broad. Um, and that is that the Spirit gives life, which manifests in a lot of different ways. Mm-hmm. The Spirit gives life through His presence with us. The Spirit gives life by providing salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Spirit 
gave life at various through times the gifts. through gifts. That's yeah. right, through miracles. I mean, you see that in Galatians 3, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians right. 4, other places. Like That was a part of him bringing life into the world. But to me, the fundamental thing that is the gift of the Spirit is real life in Jesus Christ. Um, Romans 8, verses 10 and 11 says that if the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, and Romans 1, 4 says clearly that the Spirit is the one who gave Jesus breath, Mm -hmm. new life. If that Spirit is in you, then your body may be dead, but actually he'll give life to your mortal bodies. Mm -hmm. So the Spirit gives life. Um, Jesus said in John 6 and verse 63, hey, the flesh is of no profit. It's the Spirit that gives life. And the words I speak to you are spirit and life. Um, 2 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says the same thing is really bluntly. The Spirit gives life. Mm-hmm. Galatians 6 and verse 8, if you sow or in over, if you invest in the flesh or in the world, then you'll reap corruption. But if you sow seeds or if you invest your life into the Spirit, then of the Spirit you will reap eternal life. So to me, like that's the consistent teaching of the apostles and of Jesus is that the Spirit came to give life, and that's the gift. And I think another another reason why I think that's the best way to think about this gift is because in verse 39, he says, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far. Well, if some people didn't receive miraculous gifts, well, then how could the promise be for them? Right. And we see clearly there are a lot of people who never received miraculous gifts, and they right. weren't lesser Christians or anything. Right. They were equally valid. Uh, opposite.